Welcome back to the Same 24 Hours podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Marissa Porges, author of What Girls Need, How to Raise Bold, Courageous, and Resilient Women. She is the eighth head of school at the Baldwin School, a 130-year-old all-girls school outside of Philadelphia, renowned for academic excellence and for preparing girls to be leaders and change makers. Dr. Porges served in the Obama White House, was a research fellow at Harvard Kennedy School and the Council on Foreign Relations, where her research focused on counterterrorism. She served in the New York, sorry, she, <laughs> the New York Navy. Oh my gosh, I would edit that, but that's just hilarious. The New York Navy. She served in the U.S. Navy as one of eight female aviators in an air wing of about 200. She lives in Pennsylvania with her family. So I love talking to her because we discuss girls and young girls. And as you all know, anyone who knows me for a second knows that I have um, a fireball of a 12-year-old girl and a 13-year-old boy. And so I love to talk about practical applications for for us as parents and for how to raise these kids that we, you know, get handed (laughs) and and are here to lead through life and and also not create a mess, man. I mean, it's parenting's hard, right? So I love her work. I appreciate all of her wisdom. And I hope you all enjoy this episode with Dr. Marissa Porges. Hi, and welcome to the Same 24 Hours podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the same 24 hours. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. Very excited to talk about some interesting things, especially girls today with Marissa Forges. Hi, Marissa. How are you doing? Hey, Meredith. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, absolutely. So one of the things I love about the work you do is trying to impart your wisdom, your research, years of experience on how we can raise better young women or make it easier for women to be young women, to be more resilient, to grow up, to make these teen years less (laughs) difficult. And I know we just talked offline. I've got a 12 year old and how the pandemic her avoiding school this year. I thought, Hey, it's not that bad to miss a year of middle school. And we kind of laughed about it, but what is it that we know now that say our parents didn't know about raising teen girls. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think first, you know, in one hand, the, you know, education research has come so far in terms of like, you know, what young women are going through, particularly in this early teen years. And yeah, we were, we were joking about it earlier, right? It was tough. It wasn't easy. Um, on the other hand, I think all of us, you know, who've been through it and now have been also seeing what professional life is really like and what personal life is really like as adults can also say there are still systemic challenges that women are facing in any workplace, in any part of the country, in any part of the world um, that, you know, they're, they're not changing that much. They're still there. Yes, we've made great gains, but there's still things that our girls need to be prepared to face when they're older. Um, and so my job here at Baldwin, the school that I run, but also in the book that I, I wrote, which is a combination of my stories personally from 
facing those struggles and challenges. And what I see working with our girls today is how we prepare the next generation, our daughters, our granddaughters, any young woman in our life to meet those challenges head on, to be able to not just earn a seat at the table, but raise their voice effectively when they're there to negotiate better, to, you know, to embrace their natural talents for empathetic thinking and communicating in certain ways so that they really stand apart no matter where they head next. So I think it's, yeah. it's about that. It's about really being honest with ourselves about how we can give our girls the skills they need to, for the real world. So how is that different? And I know it's different, but how is it different than the way like you and I were raised? Like, you know, I I feel like I talked to Ada Calhoun on the podcast. She wrote the book, Why We Can't Sleep. And, and one of her arguments was, you know, our generation, we were told we could have it all. So like, go have it all. Like the, the work that the feminists did ahead of us, um, you know, we, we opened the store for you. So walk through it, be everything to everyone and not, you know, discounting like, that's a separate argument from um, privilege and, and, mm-hmm. you know, other sorts of issues, but widely like you have this opportunity, go be everything to everyone. So how are you balancing that with the reality of what we know that toll takes? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think part of it is we were given that message and I heard that message too, right? It's why, you know, I led my career in life that way. And yet along the way, I realized there are some things I wish I had been taught that would have really helped me, you know, sort of go after it, right? The great example is I was never taught to negotiate, much less negotiate effectively. And studies show that still to this day, women are not as a general matter, as effective as negotiators, you know, and there's a lot of social backlash at play. There's a lot of social norms that play into it. But if we can just have a candid conversation about what does it take to negotiate? What does it take to be persuasive? What what strategies work well for women that we can teach girls to start practicing at a young age so it comes naturally and easily for them when they're older? I think that's a huge part of it. Sure. Um, I'll say the other part of it is also embracing some of the core strengths that do come naturally to many young women. Things like problem solving in teams, building consensus, empathetic you know, thinking and communication. Um, these are things that for social reasons, a lot of girls um, really embrace early on, um, but we've never really thought of it as an advantage, as something you want to lean into and be like, yeah, I am the most empathetic person in <laughs> my school, in my team. And right. yet that's what people hire for now, right? The future of leadership are people who empathize, who communicate well, who build consensus and navigate teams really effectively. Those are all things that you know I see at our school come naturally to young girls that if we can tell them, no, no, that's your superpower, that's your strength, then both, you know, they'll be able to bridge the gap when they get out in the real world. And hopefully, you know, yes, quote unquote, be able to do it all. And we can talk about whether or not that's actually the goal <laughs> where we have in mind, but sort of feel like they have the skills they need to be effective when they're there. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a good question. Like, is that the goal? Is the goal to have it all or, oh, you know, that's, oh, I know, right? that's like another podcast completely because <laughs> I had it all. And I would also almost end up in rehab. You know what I mean? Like the moment I had it all was probably like the pinnacle of my unhappiness. Like there's, there's the irony. Well, and so it's one of those questions and, you know, you're right. A separate podcast, although such an interesting <laughs> one is, you know, is it about having the opportunity to have it all and then mm. be able to realize that opportunity at different times. That's sort of the way I think about it and talk about it with my students, right? I just want them to know that they can have any door open to them. They may choose to go through it at different times because you, know, you can't actually physically doing it all at once, but then they know, yeah, they can you know, be an astronaut, be a politician, be a mom, like be a lawyer, like we were just talking about earlier, like all those things. 
it'll come at different times at their own pace, but no door will be closed to that thinking. So that's the way I think about it, at least. I don't know. So how do you, let's, let's back up just a little bit on the like socioeconomic scale, Mm -hmm. like opportunities. That's such a big question, right? Because not Mm -hmm. everyone is afforded the same opportunities and we, we all aren't looking at the same doors to be opened. How do you address that in, in your work and, and what have you seen and, and how have some of the ways that you've worked with girls who have less opportunities or, or just like, maybe if you just want to speak yeah. on that a little bit. Well, I, I fundamentally think that, you know, solving the system needs to happen in parallel with making sure our girls are prepared, right? And so mm-hmm. while the book and my current writing and, and work is about giving the girls the skills they need, or us as women, I think it's a something I'm still working on, you know, as a leader too. So throughout sure. your life, making sure you have the skills. I think in parallel, we have to make sure we're changing the system. Um, what I would say is like what an individual can do and what I'm hoping as part of the school we're doing as part of that is, you know, realize really not just mentoring younger women, but sponsoring them. And I think there's a breakdown in, in what, you know, they say studies show that men by and large have more sponsors than mentors. And for women, it's the other way. Like, yeah, we have lots of mentors, people who will give us advice, but not people who will pull us along and give us a leg up. Um, and mm-hmm. I think trying to break that dar- bar- barrier down, particularly for um, you know, women in your life who may not have had as many opportunities because of social economic reasons, because of race, you know, geographic disparities, like whatever that might have been, education disparities, um, and be able to say, I'm, I'm going to not just mentor you, but sponsor you and find ways to do that. I think that's a way that as we're trying to close the gap in the system and figure out systemic changes that will work, um, it is a way we can look out for each other and in particular look out for, you know, those female members of our teams, our communities, our, um, you know, our loved ones, our schools, um, who may have had less opportunities for a number of, of, you know, systemic or endemic reasons. Yeah. Wow. That's such a great idea. Like, so what, are there any organization, this is the first time I've ever heard the idea of like sponsoring someone. Like, are there any organizations out there that are like matching you with this or is this like big brother, big sister? What, what is, what is well, so I actually think, I mean, I think there's a lot of organizations probably who do it formally, but mm-hmm. I actually think sponsorship can be, is something we should be thinking about informally, right? It's something okay. that I learned um, uh, like two jobs ago now, right? I mean, so this <laughs> is something that I saw in my own career happen where, um, you know, sponsorship was just that person in your office who gave you the project who found opportunities for you and, you know, included you in the meeting if you weren't going to be included otherwise, who um, helped you make, you know, help make sure that your ideas were being heard around the table. There are a lot of informal ways that we can sponsor one another and look out for fellow. And it's something that helps women look out for women in a really collegial, nice way that um, it's something I saw at the White House when I worked there. Um, you know, we would literally quote informally, right? Like not a formal sponsorship, but if you were around the table and there's another woman saying an idea and she was getting stepped on verbally, um, right. you would help sponsor her ideas by, Hey, Meredith had a really great idea. Like, you know, before someone else, before a guy in the room steals it and says it, and then suddenly we all feel like we're being uh, talked over. Right. So I think that's the way I think about it because it's so it. hard for us all to think of necessarily formal organizations, but there's so many informal opportunities to just provide concrete opportunities. Again, not advice, but literally, you know, bring someone to a meeting who won't otherwise come to a meeting. You know, next time you're looking for someone, for me, it's who I bring to speak to our board of trustees, who I tee up to like give presentations. I'm always trying to look for people who might not otherwise naturally find that moment or have that moment. 
Um, and I think it's a really nice way for us to think about sponsoring women in our life, women who need more opportunities, um, you know, to get to your point of closing that gap. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Okay. So your book, what girls need, how to raise bold, courageous and resilient women. Okay. What do girls need? Oh my magic goodness. wand. What do, what do girls need? Like, do we start with what do women need and move backwards? How did you come up with this idea? Well, so that's exactly what I did. I, I mean, I literally thought about what um, I need. I still need and what I've you know learned over time on the job training, so to speak. Um, and then broke it down and say, well, how do we give those skills younger and younger so that it becomes a natural, you know, natural muscle memory um, for young girls so that when they are 20 something entering their first job, they know how to negotiate. They know how to speak up at a meeting. They know how to, you know, compete for that new job. They know how to embrace their natural empathetic thinking and talents for adaptability and things like that. Um, so that those become their superpowers. Um, essentially, I, you know, again, I reflected on my own career and stuff I'm still working on now as an adult, as a leader and saying, okay, well, what do we do at an earlier age? And yes, this is for boys and girls. So for anyone listening who has a boy and they're like, sure, our boys need it too. But like, you know, let's just be honest, they, they have advantages already. So I'm trying to make sure that our, our girls get them too. Um, so again, I think it comes down to breaking down big words like resilience and boldness and courage into concrete skills that every day make you like make those verbs reachable and actable, make those adjectives, excuse me. So that's how I think about it. Okay. So I told you offline, I have a 12 year old daughter who loves CrossFit and loves to work out. And I've got a 13 year old son who's into art. Um, so I'm going to probably have like a gym owner and an artist. So I'll have someone to fix my house and keep me in shape. So I'm sad, like parenting. Awesome. (laughs) But, um, you know, what do you see in young girls? Like, you know, I think there was a book I read years and years ago, reviving Ophelia, like the whole, Mm -hmm. there's a, there's a point in a girl's life where we often see it just kind of the light goes out, right? They're a certain way and then they hit puberty or they go to school and then it's like a dimming, right? And I look at my daughter who is extremely vibrant. All of her lights are on so bright that some of us are like, let me get my sunglasses. (laughs) So, um, and I, I almost feel like I'm on the edge of my seat waiting for the dimming and like for the shoe to drop. And so how do, what is your thought on that? And, and what, what do we do to support the light? (laughs) Yeah, well, right, because we never want that shoe to drop. We know that they need that, that light will make, make everything not easier because life is going to be hard, but sort of like, you know, the likelihood of success when they're adults, if they still have that, that chutzpah, we'll right. call it, that sort of like, you know, go get them uh, attitude will um, set them apart immeasurably. But you're right, it's something that does, you know, early preteen to middle school to early high school, it starts to, to stop for a lot of them. We see girls talk, speak less in class. Um, we see girls opt out of playing competitive sports, right? By middle school, girls are twice as likely as boys to stop playing a team sport because of social pressure, peer pressure, body image issues, things like that. And we know it's a great spot for them to learn to love their body, learn to be you know, healthy competitors, learn to be team oriented. Um, you know, I, I think uh, one way is to like think about the little moments in your girl's everyday life where um, you can reinforce the values of her 
speaking up and speaking out the values of her putting herself forward, even if, you know, the outcome, maybe she loses the game or loses the, the election or loses the competition. Um, you know, I think uh, for me, I was fortunate to, to have that early on in part because I went to, I went to an all girls school. I went to the school I now run, which is crazy. That's another oh, story did entirely. You? Oh, I did. Crazy. I went to the Baldwin school, which I'm now, I'm now ahead of, I went and, you know, but in between, I went and flew jet for the Navy and worked in the White House and traveled right. the world because that had been my dream that everyone had said that I should go for because it came from a, an environment or I grew up in an environment where that's that was their focus, sort of encouraging that that light, that go-getter attitude. Um, you know, but I do think we have to find little moments to reinforce it. You know, the case, the great example that um, that came out came out during the research for my book was um, when. Oh, gosh, and it's one of the, the proudest moments that I, I have uh, had as head of school um, was when I, I mean, it, it came from a very unfortunate moment. So let's just start there. Um, a shocking moment when two of our girls who, you know, 16, 17 years old, juniors in high school um, were sexually harassed uh, on a uh, campus near, near to ours, broad daylight, you know, you know, end of the afternoon in, uh, of August, walking to the parking lot and were by employees at this um, other school were catcalled, called after, you know, body shame, screams after them, what they were going to do to them, what they thought of their bodies, like whole nine yards. I mean, these are 16 year old girls who like, right. in most instances, you're just, the whole thing's horrifying. So first, you know, they got themselves out of there. They dashed to the parking lot as fast as they could, got into the waiting car driven by their mom because, you know, if they couldn't parallel park yet, right? <sighs> the, I know this is like the honest truth. And, and, but what they did next is what made me so proud. They sat there on their smartphones and wrote the president of this school, a middle-aged white man who they didn't know, but just knew of because he's, you know, member, you know, leading member of the community. And they reported exactly what happened, all the details, and then they concluded their message by saying, I'm not sure if you have sexual harassment training for your employees, but if you do, you need a refresher. If you don't, please, uh, we suggest you start now. We would welcome a chance to talk with you about it. Within wow. 36, right. Within, they didn't even, within 36 hours, one of their parents hadn't even heard about the incident yet. And they were sitting in the office with the president of the school, the head of HR, the head, the head of security, you know. And sure enough, um, you know, uh, the employees were dealt with. There was, you know, new sexual harassment training, you know, sort of all the things you want. And we think about the fact that like in even a college environment, only one out of four moments of sexual harassment is reported. And right. here we had teenage girls doing it. And when I asked the girls, like, how did you do that? Like, what gave you the, the to use your word, the light, that sort of like the go-getter, that sense of like, no, 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 I need to say something. And one of them said, yeah, you know, it's, it's just sort of what I've been taught to do over a lot of years. And she pointed to a moment when she was 10 and her dad used to make her call for pizza. And she said, well, I think the earliest moment I can remember it is when like I was a kid and my dad made me call for pizza, not my brother, not my mom, but me. And I hated it. But every time we had a call for pizza or takeout, I had to do it. And she's like, ah, I never really liked it. I never got used to it, but I got used to the act of speaking up, right? Mm. In a very age appropriate, safe way, right? We don't do it anymore because we have smartphones, but like there are moments where you're out at a restaurant, who's ordering for the family? Is it your daughter? You know, when you're right. going to a hotel and you have a question, who is speaking up and asking for something? These are all really safe ways, you know, when middle school, who is asking the teacher for help or, you know, getting an assignment, um, you know, after the bad test or talking to the coach about, you right. know, how practice is going. Finding these small moments helps build the muscle memory that, you know, is required for you to speak up. 
And I yeah. know that like, it, it's tough throughout life, but like when we start young, it builds those moments and that, that you know, just again, the, the natural way of being so that, you know, it gets easier over time. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. And, um, when you brought up the takeout, so I, we have made our kids order at restaurants since they could talk and to the chagrin of the waiters (laughs) who are having to wait on a three-year-old to tell them what they, you know, but we have had them do that for the longest time. And we were out recently and my son was like mumbling. I remember he wouldn't like look at the waiter and he wouldn't speak up. And I was like, son, (laughs) speak up, speak to the human who is standing, you know, Mm -hmm. and and he was like, oh my gosh, you're so embarrassing. But it's like things, moments like that. It's, it's a life skill that I didn't have. I was always ordered for, you know? Um, But here's a question I have for you. And you can tell me if this is good parenting or bad, and I will not take offense either way. And I know it's not your job to tell parents what to do. (laughs) And that's the disclaimer, right? But when kids have a problem at school, say it's with a teacher, say it's with a grade, say it's with a peer. Um, I always encourage the kids to go straight to the teacher with their own words. Always. They hate me for it. Oh, they hate Mm -hmm. me for it. And I will help them draft a a message in Schoology or whatever. Like I will help them draft because sometimes the, you know, the drafts are funny. Like my son will be like, Hey, Dr. So-and-so, um, I got a problem. I think you need to help, (laughs) you know, it's a little too, so I kind of, you know, formalize it a yep. little, but I really encourage them to go directly to the source and I really don't like to get involved <laughs> and I don't oh. know if that's the right thing or the wrong thing. So help. <laughs> well, I mean, again, with the, the big caveat of, uh, you know, you never know what's going on and yet 100%, that should be the starting point as parents, right? Yes. There's always going to be moments where we need to step in safety, sort of like those, sure. you know, it's some, something that sort of crosses the line entirely, but, but for those, the first place we should start is trying to coach our kids to do it themselves, right? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, coaching from the sidelines is such a powerful way to help them practice the the skills they'll need when they're older in a really safe environment, right? Because even if your kid had sent that, you know, poorly crafted email to the, to his teacher, you know, the the teacher's going to say, oh yeah, he's in, you know, middle school still. Uh, Okay. Right. Right. You know, and then I, I, we didn't, I didn't get your son's name, but he'll say, you know, James, 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 here's the help. And by the way, next time you write a teacher, right? Like, you know, don't say yo, yo, right. Right. But but it's a perfect opportunity because those are the, you know, the teachers, the coaches, the advisors, it's a safe environment. They want the best for your child. They want to make sure your child thrives. It's exactly the right place to practice it because when they're out in the real world, I mean, forget the real world, even college, they're not going to have, you know, the support system in place or they, you know, they, it's not when you want them to turn to mom and dad to help navigate it. Certainly not on the, you know, when they're navigating their first job interview and then out in the real world. Um, So the time is to start young um, to coach from the sidelines and do exactly what you're doing, help talk them through it, help them practice. Um, that, you know, the yeah, student I mentioned who sort of had done such great things in, in high school, she also described how in middle school, her dad used to, you know, when she had a problem with her, a class, coach her, advise her what to do, and then drop her off at school and say, okay, let me know how it goes when you get home tonight, right? Like, right. It's, a, it's a great place to practice. Um, another, you know, trick or strategy, I would say, is a 24-hour rule, particularly with young girls. Um, if if in 24 hours, the problem is still as dire as it, as it seemed or it sounded when your daughter first mentioned it over dinner or on the car ride home, 
then maybe it's time to talk through getting involved as an adult. Typically within 24 hours, the worst things of the worst things become a little more manageable and a little more, okay, well, what can you do about it? Who can you talk to to help? You know, it's, it's not as the, the urgency goes away um, and, uh, and it either can be solved by your daughter or, you know, right. that's the starting point. So that's, oh, that's a really good, that's a really good way to, to think about it too. No, cause I never, my parents did everything for me. Like they spoke for me for a, a really long time. And by the time I got to college, you raise a good point when I had to speak to these scary professors by myself, mm-hmm. like I did not understand the, the students that talk to these people, <laughs> you yeah. know, that stayed after class to ask questions. I was like, why are you talking to the professors? You know, what does that? And, and now I'm like, what a missed opportunity I, I, I was by not speaking up. Well, and that's, again, when we break down this idea of we want our girls to be bold and courageous, that's the skill you need, right? One of the key skills is the, to effectively use your voice. Um, you know, and, here, you know, I'll sort of sh- share my uh, my moment, you know, the like those moments of failure that we're all like embarrassed by. But, you know, as part of writing the book, I sort of came to the realization that, gosh, like I thought I was so bold and courageous and did all these crazy things. And yet as an adult, my goodness, if I like did not miss some opportunities because I hadn't practiced using my voice enough. Um, and the pivotal one for me was the first time I was um, sitting at a table with the president of the United States when I was serving in the Obama administration, right? Like no around it. Right, no big deal, right? Like had worked so hard to get to this like career moment across from the Oval Office, like with President Obama discussing Al-Qaeda and, you know, foreign policy and national security, all the things I'd worked so hard on. And God, Meredith, if I didn't, like I am embarrassed to admit, I didn't say a word the entire meeting. Like the entire meeting, I sat there thinking, oh, no, no, I'll let that guy get it. Oh, my colleague has it. I'll say that I'll answer the next question or make the next point. You know, he only had an hour. So an hour later, we looked at us and I looked at each other. And I was like, oh my God, how did I miss that chance? Right. I had the good fortune of having other moments to sort of say my mind to the leader of the free world. So just, but uh, <laughs> on the other hand, I don't want any of our girls. I don't want Stella to ever like have her moment with, you know, the president or whomever right. and miss her opportunity. Oh, that's such a, yes. And I, you know, I went through that phase and then I became a lawyer. I learned to talk and then Mm -hmm. decided, you know, here I do a podcast. Right. So I grew out of it, but you know, I always think when I run into someone who's famous or it's an opportunity to speak to someone just for a moment. And I think I got to go talk to him. Like Smokey Robinson was at the airport and um, he had his entourage and he obviously didn't want to be seen, but it was right as the pandemic was kind of picking up, it wasn't crowded. And I was like, okay, if he, we end up in, in line together at, at um, security, I'll talk to him. I'm not going to, I'm not going to chase him down, but he was like right next to me in security. (laughs) We're just standing there with our bags. And I was like, yeah, I think you're really great. And it's like you do, and I was like, I do. And my daughter was there, and she's like, "Who's that?" I'm like, "Well." And he's like, "Do you want to have a picture?" And he ended up being so nice, so chatty. And I thought that's just a great opportunity, or a great example of. I would have walked away from there and been like, "Well, I saw Smokey Robinson in the airport," because he's like one of my dad's favorite singers. Oh, and, um, not that you need to like chase celebrities down, but there's always these opportunities that if you just spoke up, you know, maybe he'd have been a jerk and be like, well, Smokey Robinson's a jerk. Did you know that? You know, (laughs) but he wasn't. And for the most part, people aren't. And I I don't know. I just, I try and approach my life with everything's a a moment, Like you have a moment and that is about using your voice. And so my daughter was there 
and she saw it right so she either she thinks her mother's crazy of course because she's 12 well, but yeah <laughs> but how important well, but so is then, it for us oh go ahead no it's incredibly important i mean you role model exactly what we're hoping um that over time our girls learn and so i think you know first of all our girls need us to be role models not perfect like this right. is where being candid about the realities of life is actually, you know, the most helpful thing we can do and say, yes, this is an easy, yes, we struggle too, because they, under, they need to learn that failure is part of life, everyday failure, not like the massive failure, but those little moments where, you know, we stumble, we don't talk in a meeting, we reply all to a, an email and it goes awry, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but our girls need to hear that it happens because particularly young women are tend to be perfectionists, tend to not want to mm. take those chances because what if it goes wrong? What if Smokey Robinson wasn't nice? Or what if you right. made, you know, you said the wrong thing? Um, I think the other thing that is is incredibly helpful is to talk to her about that. I mean, I don't know if you've talked to her about your that moment with Smokey Robinson, but just like in a very casual way, like, hey, you know, that was cool, but you know, I was a little nervous to talk to him because I don't know, he's Smokey Robinson. And, and you know, and she's she, so, she's so bold. Mm -hmm. That's what I mean. Like she, she, like all she saw was me do that. And she would be like, well, of course we do that. Like, that's kind of the human she is. But my son, on the other hand, would never, like he would never, never, never. So um, it, it's interesting, the personality. So like my question to you about how do we keep the light from going out? Cause like Stella will see that. And I probably need to tell her, you know, Sometimes you don't talk to people because <laughs> she's the type that would just, you know, I probably need to dial it back with her, honestly. But um, no, I probably should tell her I was scared, but I don't want to instill fear if she's, you know, not doesn't have it. So I don't know. Well, I mean, I guess this is where knowing your kids, right? Every kid is different. And so sure. when we have yeah. these, gen, you know, generalizations about a, lo a lot of young girls, particularly, you know, in early teens, start to become fearful of these moments. Um, and maybe she hasn't gotten there yet, or maybe she never will. And so that conversation isn't necessary. It sounds like maybe for your son, it is just to say, hey, like, this was really cool. This is what it took. This is what I was worried about. Yeah. Like, I'm glad I tried it. Not a big deal. Like that casual, like moment when they're half listening or you think they're not listening, but they probably are in taking it anyway. Right. Yeah. Um, just to reinforce the value of trying the value of like making your voice heard, speaking up and like going for it, I think is, you know, more impactful than we realize with our kids. Yeah. Yeah. So when you decided to write your book, what was burning in you? Like, what was your message that you said, I have got, cause I know anyone that writes a book has something to say. You, you no one goes through this process just for giggles. <laughs> yeah. yes, so what is true. it that you, you, what is it you had to really say? And you want to make sure that people, people get out of the book. Yeah. Well, so when I was, I do a leadership class for the girls at my school, um, right before they go off to college and sort of, you know, we talk about big, big ideas, but also like the practical realities of, of the real world. And they kept pushing me to tell my stories and then to explain, oh, not to get ready for college, but like, what is, what do they need in the real world? Like, what are those things that they're going to wish they had that no one ever talked to them about? And we were talking about negotiating. We're talking about, you know, how to like keep that competitive spirit alive, that fire in a way that like, that works in a co-ed environment, particularly because I'm at, a, you know, I run an all girls school. Um, we talked about, you know, how to be adaptable, like how, how that, what that looks like um, when you're navigating you know, life as a working mother for, for, you know, those of us, them who choose to have children. And this was sort of shortly after I'd become a mother. So they were curious and they didn't want to ask, but I could tell they wanted to hear it. Um, and I just realized that these are the stories that I wish I could be telling to more girls and just those I have at my school. 
Um, and so, like, you know, the, the book is an effort to do that, to share stories that I, you know, learned through trial and error and, you know, the, the real world out there and then pair it with research and lessons from fellow female leaders across, you know, the Hollywood, the Pentagon, the military, you know, corporate world and elsewhere to say, all right, what are the lessons we wish we had when we were young or that we are still working on as adults that we can help everyone learn, you know, now because the working world is still tough for women, I have to say, right? The real world is still tough for women. It's just a reality and it, and it you know, it's unfortunate, but true for at least the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like I could talk to you forever. You have a fascinating background and like, we didn't even touch on like all the things you've done up until this point, but um, maybe we can have you back for a part two I would love and, that. and talk about, you know, flying planes and <laughs> President Obama and all that stuff. Um, but tell me where everyone can follow you and get your book. Awesome. Um, uh, so the book is available on Amazon um, or wherever you pick up your books, uh, indie bookstores too these days for those who can get there. Um, whatgirlsneed.com, uh, excuse me, What Girls Need, How to Raise Bold, Courageous and Resilient Women. Um, and my website, whatgirlsneed.com has all my contact info plus resources for parents, educators and female leaders so that we can all help each other be our best selves. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Marissa. Thank you, Meredith. It was great to be here. Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Same 24 Hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.